It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome into the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, July fifteenth, two thousand and ten. We're live on your computer tonight. We appreciate you being on the other end of the program, and we're looking forward to hearing from you. The number to call is toll free eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. The email address to use. Questions at collegeview.com. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight on the Virtual Bible Study. We're looking forward to a, a an interesting, I think, informative study tonight. We have a special guest. And we have an important uh, guest and important discussion tonight. Uh, John McCullough with the Woodland Presbyterian Church in Nashville is on the line. John, welcome to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. Thank you. And uh, we invited you to come, John, to talk about the recent decision uh, by the Presbyterian Church uh, in their recent council on uh, the ordination of homosexual uh, clergy. And uh, you were quoted, John, in the Tennessean as saying you agree with that and you think the time has come. Um, yeah, I do. We've, uh, as some of your listeners may know, we've been debating this issue for quite a long time now. Um, and uh, We've come close to it, to approving this outright. Uh, four years ago, our General Assembly approved uh, a uh, recommendation from a task force called Peace, Unity, and Purity Task Force to basically study the, uh, the conflict over this issue. Um, and that recommendation was that, that we should pay more attention to a portion of our uh, Book of Order that allows... Uh, Candidates for ordination to declare it's it's a, a phrase from a very historic Presbyterian phrase a scruple uh, towards one or another parts of uh, of our polity and uh, that has actually enabled uh, some uh, gay lesbian bisexual transgendered person and I'm from here on out I'll probably just say GLBT uh, to be ordained. Um, we've actually always ordained uh, GLBT folks if they would um, commit themselves to celibacy, but um, the present uh, position is that uh, they can be in a committed relationship. Uh, and so the, the, the present issue is simply removing a paragraph from our Book of Order that, uh, while it does not mention homosexuality at all, or gay, lesbian, or anything like that, it is widely understood to uh, to be language that would prohibit um, that. The, the language specifically talks about uh, 
uh, faithfulness in the marriage of one man and one woman. Yeah, John, or, let me read that, John. I've got it here. Yeah, okay, you got it uh, the, paragraph, the paragraph in question is, those who are called to office in the church are uh, to lead a, lot, a life in obedience to Scripture and conformity to the historic confessional standards of the church. Among these standards is the requirement to live either in fidelity within the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman or chastity and singleness. Persons refusing to repent of any self-acknowledged practice which the confessions call sin shall not be ordained and or installed as deacons, elders, or ministers of the word and sacrament. Right. And that's the paragraph that uh, is going to be replaced by some language that is uh, a bit more general and does not... One, one of the concerns that folks like me have had um, is that the present language has uh, elevated the confessions, the creeds that Presbyterian Jews, um, uh, over uh, other standards and even uh, has put Scripture as uh, ahead of the actual uh, faithfulness to Christ Jesus as the living Word of God. Well, John, uh, John, John, this John, is Greg. John, could you back up and just say it one more time? You said it put this, the Scriptures ahead of faithfulness to Christ. Is that is that what you said? That's that's been a criticism of, okay. the, of the existing language. And okay, and yeah. in fact, one of the efforts that was made a few years ago was to kind of reverse the order to talk about uh, faithfulness to Jesus Christ as He is witnessed to in the Scriptures aided by our confessions. And that really is the proper sequence because, you know, if you talk about kind of a hierarchy of authority, uh, the, the, the living Christ is the primary. The Scriptures bear witness to him, and then the confessions help us to try to interpret the Scriptures. John, let, let, let's back up just a minute because I think this is, this is real key. This is Greg talking. I think this is real key to, to our discussion here. Could you could you list by rank of priority what would be the standards or principles and or principles that would be applied in making a decision on a moral question like this? Because I think you would agree with me, this is a moral question. The, the whole question of homosexuality, certainly the question of, of uh, homosexual clergy. As you understand it and as you apply it, and, and, and in the Presbyterian Church, what would be that rank of, of order as to wh- where we get authority for, for such decision-making? Well, it, it sounds kind of trite in a way to say it, but in a certain sense, <laughs> the, the primary really is sort of a what would Jesus do. Um, the, the, the issue, the Presbyterians have long... Uh, uh, looked to the the example of Jesus, the story of Jesus, uh, an effort to to try to um, interpret things in terms of really the, what does the story of Jesus, what do, do, do the actions of Jesus uh, and the teachings of Jesus um, you know point us to um, in in how we make such decisions. Now of course, one of the problems we run into, um, and problems that that you know began not you know many centuries ago really is the fact that that there are things about life as we live it, life that we experience it, technological things, but also understandings that we have uh, have uh, that have come to us 
through the, prop, the, the processes of scientific study and all of that sort of thing that were really unknown to the people of Bible times, even unknown to the people of Jesus' time. And so it's really difficult to, to try to, uh, well, I think it's just not, it's more than difficult, it's, it's really invalid to try to find in the text of the Bible an answer to every contemporary problem directly. Well, now, now that, 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 would be a, that would be a huge sticking point that I'd want to ask you about. Are, are you suggesting, John, that, that the Scriptures are then inadequate to guide us in the modern day? I mean, the implication I got from what what you just said is that in the modern day, our times and circumstance are so different that the Bible is perhaps inadequate to really address everything we're dealing with. Is that a fair statement of your position or not? Um, it, it, it might it might be a fair uh, uh, statement of my position. Um, I. In, in the sense of being able to directly find an answer in terms of guidance, in terms of, of setting in front of us principles to be, to be used. Uh, for instance, you know, it, it's, it's uh, very common for folks in dealing with issues of homosexuality to point to the seven or so texts, about four, four or five in the Hebrew Bible and another uh, three, two or three in the in the New Testament, you know that that are widely interpreted to be anti-homosexual. Um, but one of the, the, the from my perspective, um, we simply understand sexuality in the broad sense and homosexuality in particular in a much deeper uh, way. A much, I think, truer way than than the people of the of biblical times did, and and this, of course, is how, how, but but the big question, yeah. John, how do you measure that? I mean, that that seems very very subjective. That that you feel that you understand it more fully or thoroughly than people of of biblical times, but. Isn't that just sort of a subjective analysis on your part that you're understanding? In other words, it, well, I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm expressing myself fully. Yeah, no, I, no, I think I understand what you're saying. Um, it, it, it will help for me to to make clear that that my position on Scripture is that that the Scriptures are. Uh, the phrase I use a lot, which uh, picked up from one of my theology mentors, uh, Edward Farley, um, is that the scriptures are a deposit, a historical deposit of the faith of ancient Israel, in term, in, you know, with the Hebrew Bible, and the early Christian movement in terms of the New Testament. Um, so what we really have in the scriptures, as I see them, is what the people of those times thought and what they believed about God. Now, our faith comes from the faith, first of ancient Israel, because that was the faith of Jesus, and then from the early church as they responded to the life of Jesus. Um, and, and so then I see the Scripture as one way, not the only way uh, that God reveals things to us. 
I think I think in fact all um, 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 sincere uh, um, ways of, of approaching learning, in, you know, investigation and intellectual investigation, really scientific investigation, um, artistic. Um, you know that there are there are understandings of human nature that we that we learn that are very profound and very deep, and I would say come to us from God through the work of novelists, playwrights, that sort of thing. Okay, uh, so well, I think I think we've maybe have hit upon a, a principle that w- would is, is real important to our discussion here, is, and because you're at you're at a different. You're coming from a different perspective in regard to the question of authority for decision making. Uh, we we would approach it exclusively from the Bible, with warnings like the Apostle Paul gave in Galatians chapter one verse eight: "If we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed." You know, Paul Paul explicitly taught against homosexuality in Romans the first chapter, for instance, in uh, verses twenty seven uh, and following. Uh, so when Paul, if Paul said, if anybody comes teaching a different doctrine, let him be accursed, even if an angel from heaven, let alone a novelist or a scientist, if an angel from heaven comes teaching a different doctrine, let him be accursed. How do you reconcile that, John, with the idea that you, you're suggesting that there are a lot of things that could come along and change our thinking other than Scripture when when the scripture says it's it's the exclusive authority and and should not be altered yeah scripture is saying that about itself and truthfully i you know i mean i anticipated that, that this would be a significant well well, well of course you understand we're coming from a very conservative approach to scripture yeah, and yeah, you're, and yeah, you're looking at it in a very liberal uh, i i understand yeah, that and, right. I, and i'm and i'm you know and i i'm Surely you anticipated that that was going to be. Oh a yes, difference that's right. And, and, but I, I think it's. Did. Yeah. I I, I, but did. I think it's. A, I think it's a worthy discussion <laughs> yeah. because I mean these are. Oh these, yeah, no, I'm I'm happy to have the discussion. Yeah. Um, I, I and and <laughs> quite frankly, and to, to to you know to to not to not offend, but but my perspective is that that when. And let me use first-person plural. When we um, put the kind of authority on Scripture that says we can go to a certain chapter, a certain verse, and there we hear, you know, the literal Word of God. When we do that, I believe we elevate those texts, those words on the page, or, you know, however... We elevate them, in fact, above the 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 well above God. That that it, that it becomes a form of idolatry. It seems to me. Um, it 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 seems to me that that perspective freezes worldviews, uh, attitudes toward a lot of things um, in a certain um, you know. Uh, 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 cultural, social milieu from 2,000 years ago and more uh, for the Hebrew Bible and and presumes that, in fact, 
God cannot or will not teach us anything new. Can, can I take? Can I give you the other side of that coin, John? From my perspective, uh, sure, sure. God, in His wisdom. 2,000 years ago and earlier in the Old Testament, but especially in the New Testament, which we believe is our, is our standard of authority today as Christians, God in his wisdom 2,000 years ago could compose his will and word in such a way that it will be applicable to all times and places when honestly applied. In other words, I, in other words, I, I, I believe in a God who has and always has possessed infinite wisdom to the point that he could construct a message to us that is timeless and applicable in all times and places. So I, that, that's... What okay, you, okay, let, you, me, let, me, let me slightly ambush you here. Okay. What do you do about the text, I think it's Leviticus somewhere, that says don't wear clothes of two different fibers? Well, I, I don't know if you understand our position on Old Testament text. We don't li- we don't use the Old Testament as our law today. We don't try to establish our biblical authority for practice in Old Testament scripture. We we study the Old Testament. Many lessons okay, to learn so, there about so the all nature. All texts in Leviticus about about men laying with men those don't count. I, I wouldn't use them as law today. I, I would use them to, to perhaps indicate God's historic view toward homosexuality, but I would have to go to the New Testament today in order to establish okay. whether or not All that right. practice... Let me, let me ambush you with the New Testament text. When Jesus says, if your right eye offends you, pluck it out. It's better to uh, enter, I forget what the exact word is, you know, blind, than than to, to go to Hades with two eyes or something like that. I don't, I'm not well, that good at the literal text. Well, we're, but, uh, my, I can answer that. I don't many one-eyed folks in many churches. You know? Well, that, but that's symbolic or figurative language uh, used as we always do, even in our own okay, practice. We, okay, we use, so see, you are already interpreting and you're already assuming that, that Jesus was teaching not literal. Well, there are many things in the Scripture that are taught with figurative language. The book of Revelation, for instance, is just full of symbolism and figurative language. But the principle that Jesus was teaching there is clear that anything that inhibits me or hinders me from faithfully serving him, I need to rid myself of it. And he was using hyperbole there, exaggeration for emphasis, that even to the point of plucking out my eye if it came to that, or cutting off my hand if it came to that, No, he was using that. Uh, extreme illustri- illustration to point out I shouldn't let anything at all hinder me. Uh, I should rid myself of any hindrance that yeah. would keep me from serving him faithfully. Yeah. Well, of course, uh, another uh, another instance, and this is very straightforward language, I mean, for, uh, let's see, 40 years now, I guess, we have ordained women to offices in the church. We Presbyterians have. I, I suppose you would uh, oppose Wait, that as well? That's right. We, we would oppose that. Yeah, okay. Well, hang on. Okay, John. We... Let, let me ask you just quickly, John. We need to take a short break, and then we'll come back okay. and continue the session. Sure. But let me ask you just quickly. We, we sort of jumped in the middle of this. Do you believe the Bible's inspired by God? Uh... I, I would I would say in in the broader sense yes, um, not not word by word. Um, All right, and so then you would not use the word infallible uh, no, in reference. No, okay, no. and you would di- and no. you would disagree with no. you would. You I mean would... I mean you know here's a, here's a nice little clue for that. Uh, um, in, in the in the synoptics, Jesus is. Um, 
Oh, I think it's the where the disciples are in the wheat field plucking grain. I think that's the deal. And then the Pharisees confront Jesus, and he uh, he uh, uh, cites the story of David and his men who right. uh, Matthew twelve who take right the, uh-huh. the showbread and 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 actually I guess misremembers who actually was the high priest in those times. If you go back to to Kings and, and compare it, the names are not the same. And to me, that's not a problem, you see. But, I'm not but sure. But if you have an infallible view, I think you've got an answer for that. I'm not familiar with that, that alleged contradiction. I'm not, uh, I'll have to study that, John. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Matthew's I, I, account doesn't name the high priest. I don't know if, it's, if he's named in Mark or not, but I'm, I'm looking at Matthew uh-huh. 12, and, and the high priest there is not given by name, and I don't think it is in the other text, but we can check on that. But, uh, yeah. Uh, we believe, our, our conviction is that any alleged contradiction of the Scripture can be resolved, and we study that a good bit because it's, it's a fundamental element of our faith. Let, I understand that. Uh, it, and, and see, it's like, I, I, I don't have to, have to worry about that because, you know, to me, uh, it's not a problem for, for Jesus to, to uh, have made a mistake. Okay. All right. You uh, want to take a break? We will, John. Uh, uh, just hang on there. We'll be right back to sure, you, John. Sure, sure. No problem. And, and thank you, John, for the discussion. 877-381-4567 is the qu- number to call if you'd like to uh, to speak with us tonight. The email address to use is questions at collegeu.com. And if you're watching us from Ustream.tv, you can join in the chat room with other listeners. If you're at our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, uh, click on the menu button on the bottom of the video and uh, go to show page, and then you'll be able to see our chat room and join in with other listeners. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in the study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. Hello, my name's Jeffrey Vernon. I'm 13, and this is the virtual Bible study. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. Welcome back into the virtual Bible study tonight. We're glad you're a part of it. We're talking about uh, the recent decision by the Presbyterian Church to ordinate those who are actively homosexual. We're talking with John McCullough from the uh, Presbyterian Church in Nashville. John, uh, we jumped into this discussion so rapidly, we, we were, didn't even courteously introduce you. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about yourself and your background, your credentials in the Presbyterian Church. We'd be interested to know that. Okay, good. That, that thanks. That that's that, I would enjoy doing that. First of all, I grew up in Chattanooga. I grew up Southern Baptist. I uh, left home after high school, went to the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. I graduated there in 1965. I spent 11 years in uh, the Army on active duty, and at, at a certain point there, I uh, began to realize that I wasn't pursuing my military career wholeheartedly, and. And began to think what what I should I what you know what could I give my whole self to and 
realized that I'd had two or three or four different instances previously in my life that kind of pointed me towards ministry. So I resigned my commission, went to came here to Nashville to Vanderbilt Divinity School, graduated there uh, in 1979. Um, I had thought I might go back in the Army as a chaplain or uh, do some other things, but my wife had a year at Peabody to finish. I hooked up with a church in East Nashville telling them that I wasn't sure what I was going to do, but I might... Uh, I needed a place to, 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 you know, to work for a year and a half or so, and they said, well, we'll call you as a pastor and see what happens. And that was 31 years ago. I've been the pastor of Woodland Presbyterian Church uh, all those times. Okay. All right. Well, that's uh, good to well, know. Well, they, they, must, they must not get tired of the preacher there very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, have, they, they have been uh, very uh, understanding and caring to keep me on all that time. And yeah, about how, how, how large is the congregation there? It's a small congregation. Uh, it's a church that, uh, it's an inner city church, one of those uh, many kinds of churches that once was really large in the 50s, and and as the suburbs grew, the people kind of uh, moved out there. We we report 70 members. It's a small congregation, as I say. Okay. okay. And uh, from your website, uh, I take it that you are fairly active in the, uh, in the gay-lesbian ministry there? Uh, yeah, we uh, we are a part of uh, a uh, an affiliation group in the Presbyterian Church USA called More Light Presbyterians that works for the greater inclusion of GLBT folks. Okay, all right, uh, uh, all right. Now I got I got uh, a couple questions from the article that was in the Tennessean, John. Okay, uh, concerning uh, it quoted you as saying uh, concerning the support of giving gays. In committed relationships, a chance to be ordained. You said, I think we are ready for this. Uh-huh. Then later in the article, the subject of redefining marriage to yeah. include the idea of, of same-sex, committed same-sex relationships, yeah. redefining marriage to include that. You said you support changing the definition of marriage, but doubt that it will happen. They, the article quoted you as saying, I don't think we are there yet. Now... Explain that for me. Why would why would it be so that you are at one point but not another? I mean, is, is this does this suggest? And I and I'm not wanting to put any words in your mouth, obviously, but does this suggest that you see even these basic questions of what I would say basic questions of morality as being sort of a moving target? They evolve over time. No, when I say we're ready for that, I forget that that that. Which was which? I, I know the last time I said we're not there yet. Yeah, you're and not. You we, said not there that for the redefining of marriage. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just forget the exact phrase I used to talk about ordination. Maybe we were ready for that. Yeah, you said we are ready for something. this. We are. Yeah, I think we're ready, we're ready for, for this. Yeah. Um, it's it's kind of a well. In the we I'm talking about, of course, is Presbyterian Church USA, the denomination as a whole. My congregation, I think, is is ready for both of them, although. Um, I, well, I know we're, we're ready for, for ordination because we have ordained uh, uh, two or three people over the last ten years who were uh, gay or lesbian. And uh, I, I, I don't, I'm not quite sure where my congregation would be on marriage. It, I, you know, the, the article is right. I, I do believe that. Now, interestingly, um, oh gosh, maybe five or six years ago, uh, I was, I was completely. Uh, in agreement with the ordination issue, but really was a bit hesitant. You know, I'm 67 years old, so I'm, you know, got a little bit of traditional stuff in me. And I was a little bit 
not quite right to uh, to ready to to accept uh, you know using the word marriage for for committed relationships with gay folks. But my uh, younger daughter uh, helped me to see that uh, that that was just an inconsistent position and and the fact that uh, that gay or lesbian people can love one another you know every much every bit as much as I love my wife and uh, and she loves her husband and in fact uh, mentioned the name of uh, of a friend of hers that I know well and and her partner you know and said why why can't we call you know a a formalized relationship between them marriage and uh, and really, within a day or so, I guess my mind changed on it. But you know, I think well, to there this is a question, lot more now, to, than the church. To uh, this question, to this yeah. question that I'm asking is it is this is this an evolving thing? No, could we expect? Here's my question, drawn out to the next step. Mm-hmm. Could we expect that other things? Might in the future, by the by, the edict of of your general assembly, be deemed acceptable that are not now. F- for instance, and I, I mean just just to, just to grab something out of the air. What about uh, um, incestuous relationships or pedophilia or uh, uh, bestiality? I mean, is could it be so that at some point off in the future? Uh, the Presbyterian churches say, you know, we've been way off on that bestiality thing for a long time, and we think we're just going to say it's okay now. Could, could, could that happen? I, I don't see that happening. But no. why? Well, why? My question is, why not? I mean, if that became well, okay, if that became okay, culturally let, let or accept, say, uh, let, socially let accepted. Say, let, let me say, um, you know, I, I don't know if you got farm kids listening in on this, but but uh, forever and ever and ever. You've had farm boys who, not as a regular practice, but uh, you know, on occasion, will have relationships with farm animals. That is a long, long thing. And when the Bible talks about that, it it really, you know, is is talking about. I, I, I presume, uh, first of all, it's talking about the. You know, I, I think one of the issues with bestiality is the fact that it's that it's. Uh, um, an abuse of the animal, so or can be, uh, and, and and it's not just you know the, well, that it's okay, a, that a may rule be. that God's made, but it, but it's about caring for an other. Okay, now let me and okay let me know, back up. Primary but, others are other humans. Okay, let me back other, up then, because there are yeah. people. There are. Let, let's talk about the question of pedophilia. Pedophilia, no. Well, okay. there, but there no. are people who are saying that in some very liberal philosophical circles, John. There are people who are saying very, very liberal philosophical, but not very liberal religious. Well, but could it change? That's my question to you. Could no. could the thinking? No, no. There's no there's no way that any religious body that I would respect would say pedophilia is okay. Okay. Well, because, see, but what you're saying, what you're the saying, young, the young partner has no real right to, uh, real ability to consent. What about is what about incest between an adult child and his or her parent? Would that be would that be acceptable? I, I don't I don't know where you'll find anybody anywhere that 
will say that's good. Okay, John, but what you're saying, and now, now uh, please allow me to make just draw this conclusion, but what I see you saying is that you draw a line somewhere. You're saying there is this line that I will not cross. That's not acceptable. I can't imagine that it's ever not, being it's acceptable. So, it's not so much of a, as of a line that's supposed to be crossed. It's, it's a matter of, see, see the, the, the way I come to my perspective, and I, and I kind of touched on it a minute ago talking about how my, my uh, you know, idea of what relationships could be considered marriage, uh, when I change my changing attitude on that. It's a matter of what principles from our faith, from the Bible, if you want, are more important and what is less important. And, and you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so I've got a couple of, uh, you know, a couple who are my neighbor, who are gay, who love each other. I can tell from the way they, they relate to one another, how they, how they look after one another, the, the fondness with which they look at one another. I can tell that they love one another as deeply as any person can love another person. But they're gay. So am I loving my neighbor as myself when I say to them, I'm sorry, but you can't use this term marriage that my wife and I Use. I can say I can say I can say the same thing though about the adult a child and her, and his or her parent in the incestuous relationship. They love each other. They look longingly at each other. They want to spend their life together. But I'm going to say they can't be married. I can say I can make the same argument that you make about the homosexuals. John, uh, in, in, in our chat room, in, in the chat incest. room. I'm sorry, go ahead, John. Now, now, you see, really, really, the, the issue of incest. I mean, the, the religious community doesn't have to worry about that. Because, you know, that's, that's, you know, the society as a whole is the proof. Well, well, but, John, if we were to back up in our chat room, uh, Anthony in the chat room made this observation. Uh-huh. Fifty years ago, in the Presbyterian Church, they would have been saying that about homosexuality. Fifty years? Yes, yeah. yeah, so, so hundred years ago. A hundred years ago. Well, actually, fifty years ago still. Almost fifty. Let's go sixty or seventy years ago. They would have been saying the same thing about marriage, uh, interracial marriage. Well, uh, yeah, no, no, we're there, we're there, we're there. Well, <laughs> they they would have been wrong about interracial marriage, but I, because there's no Bible for that, there's that you can't support that conclusion with any Bible text that I know of. But there's multiple Bible texts. They condemn homosexuality, and so there, I think, would be the critical difference. Uh, John, we've got, earlier today, we, we've got a, a, a mailing list. We call it our update list of several hundred people that we send out messages to prior to our program each Thursday. And we said, we, we told them that you were going to be our guest and that this question of ordaining homosexual ministers and redefining marriage would be the topic. We've got a stack of questions. I don't think we can even get to them. But in fairness, in fairness to those who took time to compose some questions for you, we want to go to those questions. Would you be able? Can we take a, a quick break? Would you be able to stick with us and and just give us some rapid fire answers to some of these questions? Sure. Well, yeah, as you may have guessed, I'm not good at rapid fire answers. But <laughs> uh, I tend to be long winded as a preacher. But I'll I'll do my best. And oh, I can stay for the whole hour if you want. Okay, Jim. We'll be right good, back. John. Thank you. We're gonna take a break. Eight seven seven is the number to call. Three eight one four five six seven. Send an email to questions at collegeu.com or join in the chat room. You don't have to be logged on in the chat room tonight. You can send in your comments in the chat room without a username, so let us know your thoughts there. We'll be right back after these messages.
You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. Hello. Hey, Matt. No, I don't have any plans for Friday night. What are you doing? Oh, I won't be able to go with you to watch that movie. Because, Matt, the movie is rated R. Hey, why don't you just come over and hang out at my house Friday night? Great, I'll see you there. Being pleasing to God means that you may have to be different than the crowd. But don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. It just might find it is easier than what you expect. A message brought to you by College U Church of Christ. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. In times of crisis or emergency, men, even the most morally bankrupt men, have a tendency to turn to God. It has always been so. In the winter of 1811 and 1812, the monstrous New Madrid Fault in southeast Missouri and west Tennessee sent three major earthquakes and thousands of aftershocks through the region. The quakes were estimated at 8.6, 8.4, and 8.7 on the Richter scale. All of these larger than the famous San Francisco earthquake of 1906. Eyewitness accounts tell the ground breaking open with sand and mud and coal spewing up and entire forest being leveled. The huge Real Foot Lake in northwest Tennessee was formed as the ground collapsed and the mighty Mississippi River flowed backward for a time. Settlers in the area thought it was the end of the world. During these panic conditions, men turned to religion in record numbers. It was a time of great terror to sinners, wrote one preacher of the day. The Methodist church grew by 50% in the region. But after the crisis passed, many of the converts fell away and were referred to with contempt as earthquake Christians. Times have not changed much. Let hardships come and watch as men rush to God. It may not be a collective emergency like an earthquake. More often it is some personal crisis of danger or illness. Then we see some of the most ungodly folks push the religious panic button. I was praying like I never prayed before, they'll say. But when the critical moment has passed, they give no more thought to God. It seems we still have our share of earthquake Christians today. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. Welcome back into the program tonight. We're glad you're a part of it. Uh, the number to call is 877-381-4567. The email address to use is questions at collegeu.com or send your ch- or comments in via the chat room tonight as we talk with John McCullough of the Woodland Presbyterian Church in Nashville about the recent decision by the Presbyterian Church to ordain actively homosexual uh, clergy in their church. We uh, have some questions for you, John, if you uh, could uh, give us a quick answer. Uh, uh, The first question comes from James in Danville, Indiana. He says that he would ask, uh, what gives any man or group of men the right to think they can vote to decide on what is or is not acceptable to God? How do you know what's acceptable to God, John, and uh, and, uh, and why why take a vote on that? Well, uh, to to kind of approach it from your perspective, uh, isn't that what happens in Acts 15, where uh, Paul comes, you know, and says... uh, says, you know, I've been preaching to these Gentiles, and they, uh, they're they accepting the gospel, and uh, and it seems to me not a good idea to make them be uh, circumcised, where, you know, the, the, the Jerusalem folks were thinking that was the way to go, and they vote. And they say, you know, okay, Paul, you don't have to circumcise them. Well... I would I would say no, they didn't vote in Acts 15. Paul went up there to stop false teachers from coming out of Jerusalem teaching that Gentiles had to be circumcised, but he knew the answer to the question before he went. He wrote about that in uh, Galatians chapter 2, 
And he, he said uh, in verse 6, those who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. He didn't go up there to get an answer. He already knew the answer by inspiration. So I would, I would argue, no, they did not vote in, in Acts 15. But here, here's my, what, by what qualification, maybe, maybe a follow-up to that question, by what qualification, in other words, what if we just went out here on the street and picked 50 random people and put a vote to them and said their decision will become the binding law for the Presbyterian Church. In other words, what, by what qualification do these General Assembly attendees have that function versus other, other people? Okay. The, the, the uh, commissioners to the General Assembly are chosen by the Presbytery. They're an equal number of ministers and elders. And the the uh, the presbytery elects its commissioners a few months, uh, six months actually, sometimes before the general assembly, and they are elected because they are recognized as people with wisdom, people who have faithfully served the church. Okay. So we don't pick people off the street. I, I understand. I know you don't. I, that, that, <laughs> and that, I knew that was uh, not serious. But but now the the question is. Uh, and we believe, and we believe, let me add to that, and we believe that the Spirit is at work. And the Spirit is at work long time. You know, I mean... I know, but I know our listeners are going to, I know our listeners would have the follow-up question, okay. where, where do I read about those qualifications for a General Assembly in the in the Scripture? And, and again, you understand our perspective. Here again, again, you know, this goes back to my point towards the beginning, that there are tremendous, I mean, there's there's a tremendous amount of the life we live today is you can't find something in the Scripture to talk about it. I mean, you know, uh, the the, the automobiles we drive, the, the televisions we watch, the internet on but, but, which we have interviews and shows. Sir, but the, uh, take, I mean, take you don't find anything in the Bible to say is it sinful or not for me to, to have a computer and 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 you know and use that. Well, let's use the driving an automobile just, just quickly. Is something simple like driving the automobile? I believe that I I believe that the principles of God's word regulate how I drive my automobile. Okay, I, okay. Now, now, all right. If we're talking about the principles, I agree with you. But it seems to me that the difference between my approach and yours is that I operate from principles. You operate from specific no. words in a text. Well, now that now we got a difference of definition. I believe that the principle of marriage and the principle of sexual conduct as taught in the Word of God prohibits homosexuality and prohibits same-sex relationships. Those are principles well-defined in the Word of God. Okay, now we're going to, if we're going to, if we're, okay, now, all right, let, let me ask you this. Are we going to consider the text in the Hebrew Bible or just the ones in the New Testament? Because you told me earlier, I think, that the Hebrew Bible doesn't count anymore. Well, I believe there are many great lessons in the, in the Old Testament, but for our... Are they uh, authoritative? Uh, we do not use the Old Testament as authoritative source today. Okay, then you've got how many texts in the New Testament? Two, right? Romans, Romans one, First Corinthians nine, or First Corinthians six rather. First Timothy chapter one verses nine and ten. First Timothy one nine and ten. I'm not familiar with that. It's having to say much about 
homosexuality. Let me look it up. Uh, yeah, it mentions sodomites there in First Timothy chapter one verse oh, ten. Sodomites. Okay. Well, problem is that that Greek word uh, is 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 not. There's, there's no solid evidence that that Greek word, in its context of first century, means what the the King James translators and revised translators since have have translated it. Let's go to Romans chapter one, where we don't have to work just on one word; we can work on the whole context there. Right. In Romans, yeah. in Romans chapter one, it says, "Wherefore God gave them up through, to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor mm-hmm. their own bodies between themselves, who change the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever." Amen. For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their of their error, which was meat. Uh, do you see any principles there that would uh, that would condemn homosexuality? I don't. Uh, I, I don't know what you know. What Paul Paul might might well have been have been thinking about homosexual acts there, but I see that you know if, if there's truth for us, the principle for us in there. I think the principle is not so much the gender of the people hooking up with one another, if you will, but whether or not the relationships are simply relationships of lustful desire for another person or whether you know that that's what I'm really seeing in that 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 it is that it is sexuality run amok that Paul is is talking about you, more so than the gender of the people involved. Okay. Does that makes sense. That makes sense from your view, but uh, let me ask you would you agree that homosexuality from that passage would be unnatural? Well, see, for Paul, it certainly was. I mean, Paul, Paul, nobody in that time had the understanding of homosexuality that we have today. I mean, there is there is mounting evidence that there are genes that predispose people to be attracted to the same gender from birth. And and if you you really know any if you really know any gay or lesbian persons, I'm sure they will tell you that they are quite confident that God made them the way they are. Well, I got to stop you right there. Uh, I don't think that that's anywhere close to being established scientifically, but beside let that be beside the point. What about drunkenness? We're told that that some people are genetically predisposed to to drunkenness. Does that make it okay for them since they have a genetic predisposition toward alcohol uh, addiction? That, that therefore that's excused but, on their part? By the way, in the time that Paul wrote his condemnation of drunkenness, they didn't understand about the gene that may have predisposed one towards drunkenness. Is it, is it acceptable today, based upon our understanding, that there are some people who are predisposed to drunkenness, and uh, therefore it's acceptable? Um, I, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't think, I don't find drunkenness, uh, you know, habitual drunkenness or extreme drunkenness endangering people's lives. 
I don't consider that to, to be acceptable, whether or not the, the, no. the genetic predisposition. Well, you just you just yielded a point there, John. We, we no, got I no, I didn't. Okay. No, in fact, in fact, what I did was to say, you know, we 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 look at these texts and we try to understand what was going on in that time and that place. What the mindset, the the understanding, uh, the worldview of the people who wrote them was. We compare them to our situation today, to what we know, to how our our social and and political and uh, and uh, um, um, historic situation is different. Okay, now that and we say, okay, in these in this situation, yeah, we see it identically. In this situation. We see it diametrically opposite. In other situations, we see it kind of close, but not exactly. Okay. I'm, I'm going to have to call a point of order here because we were these were going to be rapid fire. Both of you are talking too much. He's saying we're both talking too much. But both of you are guilty on this okay, one. Okay, I think uh, you just answered. By the way, I think you just answered the next one from Preston yeah. in Valdosta, Georgia. That you, you, why? What makes the Presbyterian Church ready to embrace homosexuality? And, and basically, you're saying because of our times. Right. Because because we understand homosexuality now to be in fact a natural phenomenon. Okay, quickly now from Anthony in Columbia, Tennessee, he asks: uh, Are people in all denominations going to heaven? Are people of other denominations or, going to heaven, or of all denominations going to heaven? Um, I, I don't think God sorts us out on the basis of okay. denominations. Okay. I don't think any denomination, including the Presbyterian Church USA, has a lock on righteousness or faithfulness. Okay, now, what about the denomination that does not accept homosexuals? Are they going to heaven? Um, not accepting homosexuals will not bar them from heaven. Okay. okay. All right. Quick, right. Quickly, keep moving on. Eric uh, in Fayetteville, Tennessee, writes... Uh, the Presbyt- uh, he quotes from Wikipedia. Says Presbyterian theology typically emphasizes the sovereignty of God, sovereignty of God, the authority of scriptures, the necessity of grace through faith in Christ. And do you hold those same convictions that God is sovereign and the scriptures are authoritative? We've kind of touched on that quite a bit. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. Sure in you... that order, in that order. Okay. The scriptures are authoritative because they are our witness to the faith of Israel and the faith of the early church and the life of Jesus. But they are far superseded by the sovereignty of God. Okay. Paul says in Romans 1, verse 18, that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. How do you determine what's ungodliness and unrighteousness? Oh. Remember, uh, rapid fire, John, rapid fire. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I mean, uh, <laughs> Gosh, that's a good question. That's a good question. I, you know, an awful lot of it, an awful lot of it, is the same as it was in those days. You know, I mean, I mean, the, but I the think we've pointed out are, the Ten Commandments are accepted. Well, the, the last six commandments are accepted by all the world's religions as 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 things we should do and should not do. And there's no change in all of that. Okay. Now, you've already, but you, we've already talked about the fact that you that you take in other factors in addition to the scriptures, which would be a major difference between us. We believe the scriptures are all sufficient and yeah. complete. We've yeah. already we've already investigated that. Okay. Mark and Rhonda in Murfreesboro ask, 
Mark and Robin. Mark and Rhonda in oh, in Rhonda. Murfreesboro. Okay. Yeah, because I uh, know a Mark and Robin. <laughs> no, no, this is Mark and Rhonda. Rhonda, okay. No, I don't uh, think I know. Concerning the verses in the New Testament, not not to mention the ones in the Old Testament that we've already talked about. I mean, certainly in the Old Testament there are strong statements against homosexuality, but we understand and we we accept the reality that we have to prove our case today from the New Testament. Uh, but again, I, I think you already answered there. Your view in both Romans one and First Corinthians chapter six is that you see that as only condemning. Uh, Exploitative, yeah, there you go. Exploitative relationships, you know, primarily not loving, yeah. committed relationships. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you got. And, and some of the questions, another. If times have changed, then is it possible that something still considered taboo now might be okay in the future? We talked about that pretty thoroughly. Okay. Uh, they have a question about Jesus' teaching on marriage, evoking God's original marriage format from Genesis, in which he quotes that in the beginning God made them male and female. Do you see that as establishing a precedent that marriage and sexual relationships should be between a male and a female? If we strictly apply the words of Jesus, we won't have divorce. Because he goes right on and said, let no one put asunder what God is to those whom God has joined together. We right? would agree with that. Uh, you know, no, it, no. See, I, I no. I I think that we understand now. I mean, you have to you have to take that in context. You have to consider what this. You know, first of all, in those times, the the divorce uh, option was primarily the man's option, and primarily, if he divorces his wife, she has a very very hard time getting along in the world. Nowadays, it's quite different. Uh, I do, I do hold a very high view of marriage, and I am dismayed and disappointed and frankly a bit angry whenever I hear of some of my friends getting divorced. But I do recognize that there are situations where it is the best thing for everybody involved. All right. I think Jesus understands that also. Okay, quickly from Don in Antioch, Tennessee, uh, is your support for homosexuality due to the fact that you see it as being a righteous act acceptable to God or do you or, or is it simply because you feel sorry for them when two people whether they are man and woman man and man or woman and woman when two people love one another deeply commit themselves to one another and live with faithfulness to one another i think it is righteous Okay, uh, we have an interesting question from Al in uh, Ocala, Florida. He says if it is the right position now to accept homosexuality, does it mean that all the years prior to this new position that you were in error, uh, i.e. sinning? So if it's okay, if it's right now to accept homosexuality and is wrong, it would have been wrong, you know, in uh, ten years ago to condemn it. Would it be? Would it? Would it? Were you? Were you in error in in, in sin? Sure. Yeah. Okay. You yeah. think the Presbyterian Church was wrong ten years ago? Uh, yeah. Okay. I, I was wrong. Twenty. Uh, let me see. It would have been thirty-five, forty years ago before I really got to know any out homosexual persons. I was wrong. I condemned it. How about a hundred years ago? Was it was a Presbyterian? I wasn't around a hundred years are ago. Are we doing that beefing? Yeah, we are, but it's okay. What a hundred years ago was the Presbyterian but, but Church the, wrong? But the, par- but the parallel there is with slavery. Ordination of women for us Presbyterians, 
uh, interracial marriage. Yes, all of those things being condemned how about, in the past was wrong. How about 2,000 years ago? Was it wrong to condemn it then? To condemn what? Homosexuality. Applying these standards, yes, but they didn't know the things that we know uh, today. Okay, okay. quickly. Uh, we got, now, okay, if you're asking me, was, was well, he's asking, what he's asking is Paul, ago, was Paul wrong? What he's asking is was Paul wrong? Was Paul wrong? Um, well, I'm not sure. I don't know that anybody is sure what Paul is really condemning. You see, because I'm saying that 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 what he might really be condemning are exploitive relationships rather than the simple fact of them being same gender. Okay. He doesn't do that, by the way, in 1 Corinthians. He just calls out homosexuals. So uh, there's no reference there first, to any kind of lust or exploitation. Homosexuals first, will not now that, that's, that's That's open to interpretation, too. Quickly, to, I, want I, think, you, I, want... uh, I think that Greek word is maybe arsenopoi, something like that. And it's not really clear what that meant. In I that think I, I, my understanding of that Greek text is that he... That he that the words used there both are the both the one who is receptive of homosexual action and the one who performs the homosexual act. But uh, we we could study that more thoroughly in another time. Quickly, got an interesting email from Peter in England, Stoke on Trent in England. We've heard from Peter before. Peter, we're glad you, you're uh, listening to the virtual Bible study. And he asked about Jesus. We've talked about this already, but he asked about Jesus' teachings in Matthew 19, 4 through 6. He that made them from the beginning made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the twain shall be one flesh. This he's, uh, Peter in England says he clearly states a man and his wife. I cannot think any passage where Jesus refers to a man and his husband. Uh, and so he's asking, you know, how, how do you how do you consider redefining marriage, a commitment made before God, to include same-sex partnerships in view of Jesus' teaching there in Matthew 19? Well, I would take this opportunity to point out again how what we read in the Bible reflects understandings of an ancient time. Uh, I I am not confident that that every word attributed to Jesus in the Bible are authentic words of Jesus. That's that has to do with how I view the the transmission of the text and everything else. Uh, what, so, but, yeah. But assuming, uh, you know, for for instance, that the, in the beginning God made the male and female. Uh, I don't know that you're aware, but I think you probably are. That in fact. There are babies born that are not clearly either male or female. A gender is assigned to them, and they are surgically altered to be one or the other. You're aware of that? Yeah, and I'm aware of all kinds of birth defects that children have, but that doesn't prove what's right or wrong morally. I mean, that, 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 is, no, no, that is a known and established birth defect. It's just going to the point of when, you know, of, of, of the... the the infallibility, the literal truth of it. Jesus is here addressing the question, is it okay for me to divorce my wife? And, and, and it's like you were, uh, you were saying uh, with the uh, uh, pluck out your eye if it offends you. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, rhetoric. It's, it's uh, speech that is not meant to be literal. 
And and what Jesus is some is, well now be be very careful there, John. I don't want you to I don't want you to represent me as meaning that every statement in the scripture is figurative. No, I believe, no, no, I believe no, there are no, many. I don't, I don't mean that. Obviously, I believe contextually that's a very literal statement. I don't think there's anything in that context that would suggest that it's hyperbole or exaggeration for emphasis. That seems very straightforward, and it quotes Genesis chapter 2, when God first established the marriage relationship. By the the way, we got another email from Mike and Chris in Columbia, Tennessee, who basically asked the same question. We're out of time. John, John, do do you think that you understand more about sexuality than Jesus did? Do I understand more about sexuality than Jesus did? I don't know about the more part... I suspect. Well, see, you're, you're, you're you know the, the word you're asking here is sexuality, which is uh, a lot broader than just the question of, you know, our our relationships between people, sexual relationships between people of the same gender, acceptable? Are they even in the depending upon the nature of them, perhaps righteous, which I say they can be, and I know many that are. And Jesus, but, but, uh, so, but do I know more about Jesus? I'm not going to presume to say I do, but I think it's probably true because you know now now we're getting to now we're getting to my Christology. You see, <laughs> we, you know, you got another hour here. No, John, we don't. we're out of time, John. Listen, we appreciate <laughs> but, but your my, good. My understanding of Jesus is that he was. Uh, uh, as fully human, he was limited in his understandings to what um, the you know the wisest person of his time understood. And I do think probably I do understand homosexuality better than Jesus did. Okay, perhaps that's perhaps. a that's, that's a pretty ast- that's a pretty astounding statement to end on, John. But we'll have to end, we'll have <laughs> yeah. to end there. From your perspective, yeah. I know it is. Yeah, listen, uh, listen I John. You having me on? Well, thank John, you. Thank we want to thank you for joining us, and we want to thank you for your good spirit and your good demeanor. And I, I hope you, that you understand we we come from very different perspectives, and we disagree pretty tremendously significantly but uh, we do appreciate that you'd be willing to talk with us about these things and it's very enlightening we appreciate your time john thank you and remember i say that that that, that all these erroneous uh, perspectives that you have don't keep you out of heaven brother well, thank you <laughs> thanks for that thanks for that john we pre- again thank thanks you for your much. time Okay. All right. Uh, we appreciate John for taking the time tonight. A good discussion, and uh, Dad, uh, very as you said, very enlightening. So good, good discussion. Well, I think it really highlights some of the extreme differences that exist in the religious world as we approach things. And I would just end, Jacob, with this note: if we if we go past the Bible, if we don't take the Bible as our religious guide and be very diligent in following it exclusively and exactly. John, where John is is not surprising. Right. When you start to part from the Scripture, it's easy to go to where he is and far beyond it. You can't stop. Right. You can't. You can never draw a line. Uh, you just opened up the barn door. Right. All right. Well, thank you for being on the other end of the line tonight. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, please uh, send us an email or give us a call anytime. We'd love to hear from you. We hope you'll make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it.
Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.